This week on Wealth Track, two retirement experts discuss the best approaches to retirement planning and what to look for in a financial advisor. The starting point is, are they a fiduciary? Are they have a legal responsibility to act in the client's best interest? So everybody should know right. that word. And the first right. thing you ask, are you a fiduciary? Absolutely. Are you giving me advice in my best interest? Or mm-hmm. Are you just giving me professional advice? You're not mm-hmm. lying to me, mm-hmm. but you're giving me advice because you'll make money off my advice. Yeah. Teresa Gilarducci and Jamie Hopkins join us this week on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation. Clearbridge Investments, a Leg Mason company, Miller Value Funds, Royce and Associates, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, Strategus Asset Management, and Eaton Vance. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Retirees and near retirees have suffered a punch to the gut in their portfolios with the COVID 19 induced shutdown of the economy and the massive and precipitous market decline. After a decade which resulted in longevity records being set by both the economic recovery and bull market, this black swan event was a stunner, which requires a reassessment and regrouping of life plans, particularly for seniors. The most important actions we can take are to have a plan to protect what we have live within our means and limit the drawdowns from already battered portfolios. How do we find the right financial advisor to help us do that? We'll find out in a moment. Now, one lesson we learned from the last financial crisis and recession was panic selling resulted in permanent losses. Investors who kept their targeted stock allocation benefited from the eventual market recovery. Another lesson learned was the value of Social Security. No matter what happens in the market, it is the one guaranteed annuity that most working Americans are entitled to. The longer Americans can delay collecting that benefit until age 70 if possible, the bigger the lifetime payout is. That is a point in which our two guests heartily agree. We have two retirement experts with us. Teresa Gilraducci is professor of economics at the New School for Social Research where she is director of the Schwartz Center for Economic Policy Analysis and the Retirement Equity Lab, which researches the causes and consequences of the retirement crisis. Gilarducci is co-author with former WealthTrack guest Tony James of Rescuing Retirement, a plan to guarantee retirement security for all Americans. Jamie Hopkins is director of retirement research at Carson Wealth and finance professor of practice at Creighton University College of Business. Hopkins, a frequent WealthTrack guest, is an expert on retirement income and author of Rewirement, Rewiring the Way You Think About Retirement. We began this free-ranging interview with Social Security. The best system we have for people is Social Security. It's a lifetime annuity. It's indexed for inflation. You don't have to worry if you're going to live to a 97. Yeah. So the best thing we can do right now with the system we have is get people to collect Social Security as late as they can. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because you get All 8% right. Right, additional Social Security benefit well, a year starting at what 67, age? 67. The, yeah, 67. full retirement age. Your full retirement age. Which for, is now 67. For, uh, wow. Right, and so if you, if you deferred until... Yeah. 
70 or so whatever. You get 8% per right, year. Right, 32%. Per, but if right, you wait between 62 more. and 67, I'm going to emphasize this because okay. most people collect at 62. right around, yeah, they're both, they're collecting between 63 and 64. I see. So everybody yes. hear me. Yeah. Everybody hear me. Just wait even six more months a year from 62 to 67, you get 7.75% return. Guaranteed. You can't get that guarantee yeah. right, right. Anywhere, anywhere on the else. planet. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, this is what I want, want to know. Do financial planners actually advise people to spend down their money to delay collecting? To defer Social Security? Yeah, so I would actually say that it's probably one of the, actually the largest retirement income strategies that advisors stick to today. They do? How it's, it's still- and, and so that's a good thing, yeah, right? It's a yeah, good thing, right. but, but the challenge is what- really. <laughs> No, but I'll tell you the challenge is that behavior of the individual so advisors don't control the claiming decision, right? Yeah, but so they can influence they, it. And they do. And I would say pretty much every financial planning model and advisor that I've ever worked with, um, we actually teach that research to the mm -hmm. advisors that you should actually spend down other assets to defer Social Security. I know, but I'm really worried about one thing because that would go against their economic interests. Right, so, their financial advisors' economic interests because they get like well, their fee based on the assets under management. Well, partially. So yeah. we also have research that says if you do that, you increase the longevity of the portfolio. And if you increase the longevity of the portfolio, you would actually technically make more money in the long run. But I'll also challenge this. Most advisors do not make money off their true financial advisors, fiduciary advisors, right. do not make money off the individual decisions on spending down exactly. a year or so. Good. so okay. How an advisor actually tends to make money is actually growing their business, which means actually getting good new clients, having uh -huh. good reputation. If you add essentially one more client, you'll make a lot more money than you would dealing okay. with one individual decision. Now, I will also agree with you, outside of the fiduciary world, yeah. that is not necessarily true because right. there we're still selling specific products to generate our entire income. And if that is the financial advisor's compensation model, that's challenging because I don't have a long-term benefit to improve your retirement security. I have a short-term benefit. And, and there's and we know that the compensation models does drive advice of advisors, right? right. But so compensation drives advice or behavior right. kind of everywhere. Well, you're so polite. <laughs> um, but really, everyone should realize there's two worlds of advisors. Mm -hmm. Yes. Ones have black hats, they're bad, and ones are good. <laughs> So when you say yeah. the fancy word um, fiduciary, fiduciary or true advisors, you're just talking about that much smaller group mm -hmm. that are fee-based. Yep. Yeah. They, they will charge you like your dentist will charge you. You go there for their professional advice and you pay. The other ones say, oh, I'll provide it for free. They tend to give you birthday calls and call you every day to see how you're doing. So those are the ones that, that are taking the 1% on your assets, yeah, right? Yeah, they're bad. Right, right. Good, no, right. bad. Course, we've we've yeah. heard the opposite. Right. So actually getting that like one time fee or two times or whatever, the fee base can good. be good as opposed to <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I mean, would you agree with so that characterization? I, I, or there's room for both? Well, so I don't agree in the good and bad black okay. and white aspect of it, right? But um, we have academia and then I say pracademic because yeah. I'm also <laughs> dealing with clients and you know, I've taught advisors all over kind of every space. So, right. you know, we build a program that does retirement income planning. We taught over 20,000 different advisors through a seven year period. Like and real ones or? Well, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say real advisors, right? But, um, and 
some advisors, right, it still gets down to the individual because you can, in any compensation model, choose to be a good advisor, right? So no matter how mm. you're compensated, you can choose to be a good advisor. Mm -hmm. so you can choose to be a fiduciary. You can choose to act in the best interest of your client. And, you know, that's really what we want to look for is people who right. are doing the right thing, so taking care that? of their... But... Yeah, it can be challenging. I mean, I'm, I'm still of the... But the easy one, the starting point is, are they a fiduciary? Are they have a legal responsibility to act in the client's best interest? So everybody should know right. that word. And the first right. thing you ask, are you a fiduciary? Absolutely. Are you giving me advice in my best interest? Mm -hmm. Are you just giving me professional advice? You're not mm -hmm. lying to me, mm -hmm. but you're giving me advice because you'll make money off my advice. Yeah, yeah. and that one were, uh, sounds like a 100% agreement. Now, the challenge with that one, actually, the SEC passed rules this last summer, actually going to make figuring this out next year harder. Oh. Um, that the disclosures that are going to show up yeah. are all going to say best interest. And we actually know that the language best interest clients gravitate to more. We just heard that fancy word fiduciary. And even among right. professionals, that people struggle to perfectly define what that means. Um, but that difference actually between best interest under this SEC Oh, noise. And your and, interest and, and oh. actual fiduciary are worlds They're actually different. very different. Legally very different. And right? it, that's going to be hard for a client because you'll go yeah. in, you'll say, yeah. uh, are you a fiduciary in best interest? And the person's going to say, yes, we're in best interest. Yeah, that's what they, yeah, they'll dodge the question. So I, that's the best thing you can do for this show mm -hmm. right? is realizing that best interest means it's not your sole interest yeah. right and the, and the fiduciary is actually quite easy yeah. do you make money <laughs> off of the advice that you give me mm -hmm. right and if that's what the everyone should ask their advisor yeah and you should have to actually pay a fee before you walk out the door what percentage in, do you think are fiduciary advisors versus the other kind versus in total financial services i'm not sure but one to twenty what i will say one thing uh actually you just hit my number i always tell people uh -huh. i would only hire five percent of it. the advisors one in the world so uh -huh. while actually we don't agree on the good bad but the number right. that i right. would hire is <laughs> the right. same so it we is. got we actually are ending up you're in just, the same place again. yeah you're just <laughs> more polite the uh -oh. importance of, of behavioral changes in mm -hmm. order to you know plan have a, have a better retirement yeah so I mean that's something we look at with like when we're looking at client data so client data again is going to be somewhat different than when you're looking at the entire mm -hmm. country's data but we do know that the clients that uh, you know do get true planning where the advisor is leading with planning right where we're doing goal-based planning so you can envision the future and what it's going to be like we can we see better outcomes for those individuals right and they're more satisfied with their advisor they're more likely mm -hmm. to refer them and they actually show higher retirement satisfaction so so planning planning is crucial can, is, can and, be a big and advantage. even some very basic things we've seen right. data that shows having a written financial plan right a comprehensive written financial plan helps with all those things and you would think well doesn't everyone that goes to an advisor get that and they don't they don't um, oh no and no. even the other one basic having an estate plan in place again that's another driver for all of that positive behavior that we see and again amazingly you would think that's a basic i go to an advisor and i get a estate plan to help now obviously an attorney would be involved with that at some mm -hmm. point but they yeah. still don't even do that for a lot of people. Jamie, I don't want to. I don't want to step on you, mm -hmm. but I really do want to point out that you're talking about at the most top 10% of of people. Most people don't even have a hundred thousand dollars in their home equity, much yeah. less an estate. Mm -hmm. But I get it. If you're going to talk holistically, well, when I say estate yeah. planning, we're talking about yeah, making sure your beneficiaries, that you have right. a will, a trust, will. power of attorney, that actually the medical stuff, yeah, medical care. 
medical power of attorney yeah. right and even when your kids go to college you should be getting that in place yeah. for them that's an amazing thing too that yeah. that's something your advisor should be saying when your kids head off to college do they have those directives in place mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. Things Stuff happen happens. to kids at the college and then nobody's able to step in and help out. Right. And I, I wish we had a law that made financial advisors do what lawyers have to do, which is that which they is, do some pro bono work. Mm -hmm. I would love for every of uh, my parents who are sending their kids to this pretty fancy, expensive, mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. good <laughs> um, private school, <laughs> um, that the, the parents would have some access to look at their whole financial picture. Because I think one of the places they make mm -hmm. a mistake is to borrow money against their retirement in their home, thinking that they're giving their kid a, a one leg up. Mm. So right. that's a really good... And that's, that's happening a lot, right? It's yeah. happening a lot. And, 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 it's, and it's hurting, it's yeah. hurting <laughs> or your industry. Hurting parents, yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, you're, you're saying it's actually, yeah, you've it's got hurting. to understand what you're yeah. risking in yes. order to, you know, to, give your kid a leg up or whatever. Whatever you think that whatever is. Whatever you I mean, think that sometimes is. Sometimes it's maybe two years at the state school or community college and then finishing up at your private college. Right. But I, so I would really like to see more professionalism in, mm -hmm. in that profession, that a more social good, yeah. a more public purpose. Mm -hmm. So, Jamie, you're both a lawyer and a financial planner. So do you want to respond to that suggestion that Teresa just made about financial planners and advisors having to do pro bono service? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, as, as an attorney, right, I actually think that's a great part of the legal profession. Right. And it's also important when we say that word profession. And uh, attorneys are a profession. Yes. Financial services is mostly an industry with professionals in it. Mm -hmm. And there is a group, right, the fiduciaries, the CFPs, the one that adhere to education, client best interests, doing legally then also a responsibility. You do see them engaging in pro bono work. They go to tax clinics and they help people. Mm -hmm. And But it is not a requirement, requirement. right? And, uh, you know, I'm 100% agreement. Our company is very much in that world where we will do pro bono work. Where Carson we go, Group. Yep, Carson mm -hmm. Group. We will. And so we will do that. But again, right, right you have to choose to do that today. Yeah. Um, now, maybe you might emotionally feel better because you are choosing but yeah I agree I would love to see more advice more pro bono work in the world so I want to ask you Jamie again dealing with the reality mm -hmm. that that we are facing is so that those of us who are able to make the system work for mm -hmm. us maybe make some recommendations um, in each stage of our lives of what you would advise that we do yeah, so we, we can start, right, 20s, and now we'll say hopefully you still get lucky. And actually, I just yeah. saw some data recently, right, that ran the computer of wealth in the world, and they, sh mm -hmm. right, did you see that? And yeah, they showed yeah. it was just the bad outcomes when we got pretty similar exactly. wealth accumulation. Mm -hmm. um, so one is unfortunately get lucky in life, right? Right. Um, but in the 20s, but what I said before is invest in yourself too, right? And that's the go to school, find the career, travel, whatever it is, you know, be healthy, work out, try to, you know, keep yourself in a good place to be moving forward. Um, but financially, yeah. What, and, the, and can, so, can I, can I, can I, does a rule of thumb work that by the time you're 30, you should have no debt? And a job. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, uh, debt management and employed is really, right, those are big. <laughs> because if you fall behind with debt, right, you're, it's going to be very hard to overcome that. Right. Then in your 30s, that's where you've got to manage. But also, I mean, if, if you're in your 20s, it, it, you should have a 401k, an IRA. Uh, well, if, I mean, should you start, you know, with I, your I tax you deferred? To, I think it's more Obviously, the earlier we can start saving, the better. And right. the longer we can keep the money in long-term savings and investments, the yes. better we are. And an index funds is what you recommend, Teresa. Oh, yeah. 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 Low-cost index. Yeah. That yeah. They're great, you know, great investments for younger individuals. Right. And for 
a large group of the population, mm -hmm. right? No matter what yeah. age. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then as you move to your 30s, expenses become big. And those are the things, right? It, paying attention to housing expenses, right? That's a huge drain for a lot of people. Um, you know, watching for education costs, not pulling money out to spend maybe to the most expensive school possible because you believe it's a significant a leg up. Um, right. You know, and that point we do need to, I mean, really regardless of who you are at that point, if we can get money saving, we have, you know, we pretty much have to at that point. Mm -hmm. If we miss all of your 30s and we're starting in your You're mid 40s, really it is it's a really, lot harder. Is it? Yeah. yeah. And 40s harder. and 50s, right into your mid 50s, are going to be most people your peak earning years, right? Yeah. So that's where we've got to, you know, spread out wealth, right? And so if you think about consumption smoothing, right? I'm going to have years of higher earnings and then it's mm -hmm. going to drop down again, then eventually go to almost nothing from earned income. And so I've got to take that earnings in that middle time and kind of spread it out. So I have money coming in in my 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. um, as you get into 50s, I think it's also very important to think about that protectionary time period because you're now starting to near retirement, right? Even a decade out, it's starting mm -hmm. important to start making that mental kind of change. Um, for a lot of people too, the biggest mental change that I see a hold up on is we're supposed to be told, hey, you set money aside and it grows and you contribute mm -hmm. and then you get to retirement, all of a sudden you've got to spend it down. Mm -hmm. And that's a very big challenge because it's literally the opposite of what you've been told to do for the last 35 years. You haven't been trained in any way to spend money mm -hmm. from your investments, right? And, and you wrote a book about this called Rewirement, Rewiring <laughs> the Way You Think About Retirement, yeah. right? And it's really that transition from accumulation to decumulation. And you watch a lot of TV ads that say, hey, come do your retirement planning with us. And the reality is most of those people don't know how to do retirement income planning any mm, better than you do. No, they don't have a license. They yeah. need a license. And it's really been kind of a newer profession or industry or even focus on how do we actually make la assets last for a lifetime. And, you know, risk management, deferring Social Security, managing expenses, health care, all of that has to be coordinated together. Mm -hmm. And there are very few people who professionally can do that. They don't yeah. understand it. Can you? Um, can people uh, look at one license and know that they'll get good holistic advice? So, unfortunately, I would say not one license. Um, my, I'm obviously a little bit biased in this, so I have to always present okay, my biases nice. before I tell you what I think people should mm -hmm. do. Um, well, I say one, look for a fiduciary. Mm -hmm. and, and how and, do you and know so that? that's a certified financial, um, you, you said CFP. No, CFP so, so CFP right? will be a fiduciary. They, right. are, they adhere to it. Um, I'm a CFP mm -hmm. professional. We have to right. actually add that to the end yeah. of it. So, um, and so CFPs mm -hmm. voluntarily choose to be fiduciaries. Ah. Now there's a legal fiduciary under SEC rules and licensing. Um, so you actually can ask a fiduciary to put it in writing mm -hmm. that yes. they are a fiduciary. And, and I then say, ask legal. for it. And then it's legal. Yep. It's then, right, they're holding themselves out as it so right. they can be held to that standard. So CFPs, if they put that mark behind their name, they are essentially saying that That's great that advice. That's great advice. Now, when it comes to income planning, now, there, you can see some criticisms of CFP out there. And I actually think it needs to go further than mm -hmm. CFP. CFP is our kind of fundamental, today still the elite education for advisors for mm -hmm. planning. But I built that program, RICP, RICP, Retirement Income. And that is what we want. Yeah. Right. 
we w we actually say we want new, that on relevant new of, of the CFP. What's it yep. called again? RICP. So right. Retirement Income Certified Professional. It's American College Accredited College, and it's the it's essentially an add-on to CFP that it says you know what you have the baseline now. Can you turn a client's assets into income? Can you help them with Medicare decisions? Can you help them with long-term care planning? Right, not insurance, but long-term okay. care planning. planning. And that means right have even the basic things of talking with your family members who end That's up being plenty. the caregivers, yes. right? Unpaid caregivers. Yeah. And it's often now a lot of full-time uh, full, you know, full or part-time working women that are then losing right. their own income yep. to fill in that gap. And so that's really like where we have to get to, and it's not there today. That puts, again, we said mm -hmm. back at the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. It's a do-it-yourself system. To find the right advisor today is a do-it-yourself system. And I would bet if actually you had enough data, you would find that some of that's random too, right? Mm -hmm. That you get lucky and find the right advisor. But you know, look yeah. for fiduciary, get it in writing, look for the education requirements, know how they're compensated up front, mm -hmm. right? You can also mm -hmm. ask for that in writing. So I, I deal with a lot of people. Um, as, a, as a professor, mm -hmm. people find my name and they email me and I don't charge anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know there's a lot of people without the assets, without, they feel so ashamed that to go to a planner mm -hmm. is just more finger wagging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's right, it's a good thing for everybody to do in our minds, but on the ground it doesn't happen. What I tell people, and I just mm -hmm. want to know what you both think, mm -hmm. is that trust that Social Security will be there. Mm -hmm. It's always, there's always been voices out there right, uh, that say it's not going to be there, and me. it always is. And you'll hear it every flexible. summer. <laughs> every summer, every presidential, and right. we now have candidates now, they say, both of, on both mm -hmm. sides. Trump says, I won't touch your Social Security, and the Democrats are in favor of putting more revenue into it mm -hmm. and supporting it. Mm -hmm. So trust Social Security understand that the system rewards those who delay collecting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we have to make sure that if you have to collect it's not your fault mm -hmm. it's because okay. of your low income right. i have a lot of older women coming to me who just got one shock of their life which is they got fired or they mm -hmm. got a divorce mm -hmm. or early widowhood men mm -hmm. still die yeah. um, er, much earlier than women the one piece of advice i give them is look at eat like a diabetic even though you're not a diabetic, or mm -hmm. even if you are, look at what the American Diabetic Association <laughs> says to do and do it. Mm -hmm. Because diabetes is expensive and it won't kill you. That you will have to pay that cost of having diabetes oh, interesting. for the rest of yeah. your life. So just make sure that expenditure doesn't shock you. Yeah. So eat like a diabetic in your 50s. Um, yeah. Just pretend you are and just tell everybody, nope, my blood sugar, nope, I'm not doing that, nope. Yeah and also try to not go into debt. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're going to buy a house when you can afford it because your broker says a 30-year mortgage, say, oh, I'll buy a house where I can mm -hmm. amortize it over 10 years. Um, so it's downsizing mm -hmm. is, right. I think, the, early, uh, early, yeah. right. early so in every way. That's more important than trying to make those assets. Oh, interesting. Grow. Yeah, right. it, actually, we, very little data will show that the biggest drivers for your financial success are your returns or your investment decisions. It, it's There's very little data that shows that. It's do you work with a fiduciary? Or do you get exactly. lucky on bad events, yeah. health, losing yeah. job? Those are all the things that really drive. Now, Social Security, right, is, I often say it's the best and most official financial instrument in the world. And I 100% believe that. Because um, when I go to people, I say, how are you going to get a better product elsewhere? Does, mm, how, much right. does, how much does Social Security spend on marketing? How yep. much do they spend 
spend on R&D? How much do they spend on sales? They don't have that big overhead. Mm -hmm. And 94%, I think, of the working population today pays yeah. into Social Security. Yes, right. Now, here's a different way to think about Social Security as a benefit, right? A lot of people tell me, I've got a great 401k plan. Yeah. My company yeah. puts in 5%. So, yeah. Social Security. You know, your employer, if you're working for an employer, puts in just the Social Security. Yeah, right? six point four. Yeah, so six point two. Six point two with a little percent. extra for uh -huh. yeah, for, for Medicare. Medicare yeah. Right? So your employer wow. is contributing a lot more uh -huh. to your Social Security, and and at minimum, it's worth about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And depending upon your family situation, how mm -hmm. long you live, it could be worth up to six and seven hundred. Right. As if you had that amount of yeah. cash and in the no, bank generating income right. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. right. All right, Teresa Gilarducci, thank you so much thank for coming you. on Wealth Track. It's delighted to meet you, and we'll have you on again, I know. And Jamie, we've had you on several yeah. times, and you, this will happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie Hopkins, thank you so much for joining yeah. us, too. Thank you. Thank so, you. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs>